Hi, this is Jose Figueroa with an approved workman where we are rightly dividing the word of truth. Welcome to another week of Bible study. I am so glad you're here as we open up God's word one more time. Our current series is Living Hope, a study of the book of 1 Peter. If you're new to this Bible teaching ministry, here's how you can learn more about it. First, go to our website, www.anapprovedworkman.org. That's anapprovedworkman.org. On the website, you can learn more about the purpose of this ministry, our approach to Bible study, and also review our statement of faith. You can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Amazon Music, as well as other podcast directories. On the website also, you can listen to previous episodes of our current series on First Peter or any episodes from our previous Bible study series. If you are on social media, you can connect with an approved workman there too. I'm on Instagram at an approved workman. Our Pinterest profile is pinterest.com slash an approved workman. And our Facebook page is facebook.com slash inapprovedworkman215. Finally, if you're watching the video version of this lesson, make sure you subscribe to our channel on either YouTube or Rumble to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Today, we're in lesson number eight in the series Living Hope from the Book of 1 Peter. This study is part one of our series, Strangers and Pilgrims, which covers 1 and 2 Peter. The lesson for today is titled, Living for God's Will, part two, and our focus passage is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. So find your way in your Bible to that passage. In chapter 4 of 1 Peter, he encourages believers to purposely live for the will of God. In our previous episode, we began our study of 1 Peter 4. The Apostle Peter is encouraging his audience to live for God's will instead of their own will. They need to act differently because they are different as a result of their redemption by Jesus Christ. They are no longer under the kingdom of darkness, but they are citizens of God's kingdom. They are no longer pagans, unbelievers separated from God. They are part of God's household. So, it is necessary to have a different attitude in life, a different purpose in mind, and a different way to spend our time while we'll still have that time. The first order of business is to renounce sinful behavior, and that was the subject of our first division and our first episode last time. Peter reminds us that we are past the point of living to carry out our sinful desires like the Gentiles, that is, the unbelievers do. We need to be done with living under the power of sin. We must be different than unbelievers. So let's review the principle and application from part one of our teaching from 1 Peter 4 against the divisionist renounced sinful behavior, verses 1 through 6. Our principle Living for God's will requires a definite break with sin. Living for God's will requires a definite break with sin. As a way of application, 
we ask these questions. What sinful behavior must you renounce today? What help do you need to honor your commitment? So if you missed our previous episode, I encourage you to listen to the podcast or watch the video of that lesson on either YouTube or Rumble. Here's our lesson outline and goal as we continue our teaching from 1 Peter chapter 4. Last time we looked at renounced sinful behavior, verses 1 through 6. Today we will focus on our second division, resolve to be a good steward, verses 7 through 11. And then next time uh, we will complete uh, part 3 of our teaching from 1 Peter 4, as we will focus on the third division, rest in a faithful creator, verses 12 through 19. And our goal for the teaching from 1 Peter 4 is this, to encourage believers to remember that our Christian lives should be lived according to the will of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, the goal for the teaching from 1 Peter 4 is to encourage believers to remember that our Christian lives should be lived according to the will of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's get started with our lesson for today and focus on our second division, Resolved to be a good steward, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking actual words of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. In verse 7, Peter now reminds them that the end of all things is near. So they are to be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. This is an important transition. In verses 1 through 6, Peter speaks about what to leave behind, that is, sinful behavior. In these next few verses, Peter encourages the believers to focus their efforts on something else. As a believer, if you're done with sin, there are actions you can take that are far more important and productive. First, there is a sense of urgency in the phrase, the end of all things. I believe this speaks to the end times, the time when Christ will return for a second time to judge the world and establish his eternal kingdom. Peter and the rest of the apostles live with that sense of urgency. For them, Christ's return was imminent, and his church must always stand ready. The clock is ticking. That sense of readiness is demonstrated by maintaining a sober spirit 
that enables sound judgment. And overall, this sense of readiness is established and maintained through prayer. Jesus did the same thing. He encouraged his disciples to live in a state of readiness as they awaited his return. So Peter is probably remembering this. Look at Matthew 24, verses 44 and 45. For this reason, you must be ready as well. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household slaves to give them their food at the proper time? Matthew 24, 44 and 45. Look at Matthew 26, verse 41. Same idea. Keep watching and praying so that you do not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So keep watching, keep praying, pay attention, stay sober, sound judgment. Don't live in dissolution, in dissipation. The Apostle Paul had the same sense of urgency in mind when he wrote to the Ephesian believers. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. So then, be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. However, as we live with this sense of urgency about the imminent return of Jesus Christ, that should not cloud our understanding of the implications of that return. In his Bible commentary, Dr. MacArthur explains how this understanding of the imminent return of Christ should really affect believers. He says, quote, The doctrine of the imminent return of Christ should not turn the Christian into a zealous fanatic who does nothing but wait for it to occur. Instead, it should lead the believer into a watchful pursuit of holiness. Moreover, a watchful attitude creates a pilgrim mentality. It reminds the Christian that he is a citizen of heaven only sojourning on earth. End quote. And I think that's a great perspective as we live with that urgency, but also reminding us that we're just here as pilgrims, and as we're here, we have work to do. And as we discuss, prayer is an essential tool in our spiritual battle as we wait expectantly for him. Listen again to the Apostle Paul as he writes to the Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 18. With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. And pray in my behalf that speech may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Ephesians 6, 18 and 19. Let's hear from Dr. Tony Evans as he speaks on the importance of prayer. Quote, From God's viewpoint, time is the boundary of opportunity. Peter explains how to make the most of the opportunity you've been given. 
At the top of the list is prayer. It replaces self-focus with a God focus. It reminds us who we are, and more importantly, who we are not. End quote. In verses 8 and 9, Peter then encourages them to keep fervent in their love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. He's quoting from Proverbs 10, 12, and it's also the same idea you will find in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 13, and also James chapter 5, verse 20. In light of the need to reach unbelievers with the gospel, true love will help the church to remain united, even as we will, from time to time, inevitably hurt one another. This does not mean we ignore sin or simply sweep it under the rug. It means that we deal with those issues with full transparency and in true agape love. Love is our distinguishing mark as believers and what binds us together in true unity. Listen to the words of Jesus from John 13, beginning in verse 34. I am giving you a new commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13, 34-35 Listen to the Apostle Paul again, Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. In his commentary on 1 Peter, Dr. Warren Wiersbe speaks on the nature of this love that should be present in the church. He says, quote, Christian love means that we treat others the way God treats us, obeying his commandments in the word. It is even possible to love people that we do not like. Love does not condone sin, for if we love somebody, we will be grieved to see him sin and hurt himself and others. Rather, love covers sin in that love motivates us to hide the sin from others and not spread it abroad. End quote. And Dr. Carson, on his work, uh, the, on the commentary of the, on the New Testament use of the Old Testament speaks on how this advice from Peter looks for the well-being of the entire community. He says, quote, A community that is suffering abuse from outsiders may become a little frayed internally as well. But if they display hatred to one another, they will merely stir up dissension. By contrast, loving one another will cover over the many wrongs that inevitably take place in any community. And this is a stance that they must adopt in the light of the imminence of the end and also because they are Christ's holy nation and therefore different from the surrounding pagans and because they follow the example of Christ. End quote. And again, it's not easy 
but because we're different, because we are redeemed, because we're called to love one another in spite of how we might hurt one another inside the church. Love is the idea that love covers that multitude of sins. We deal with it transparently. We forgive one another. We bear with one another. That's what we're called to do. Peter continues with this exhortation. Believers are also to be hospitable towards one another without complaint, that is, without memory, without grumbling. This means that we are to be hospitable, which means you're disposed to treat guests and strangers with cordiality and generosity. This is to love not just in word, but also in deed, and to do it with gladness and without grumbling. The Apostle John encourages believers to do the same thing. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. But whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? Little children, let's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. Moving ahead to verse 10. As believers then, as part of God's family, the main calling is to love one another in truth and in action. But we're also called to something else. Peter tells us that we're to employ, to use our spiritual gifts to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold, the multifaceted grace of God. What are spiritual gifts? We get some help from the baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. Quote, phrase regularly used to translate two Greek words, charismata and pneumatica. The plural forms are of charisma and pneumaticon. Both words are almost exclusively Pauline within the biblical writings. Elsewhere in the New Testament, they appear only in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, and 1 Peter 4, Verse 10. Both words are derived from more familiar words, carries, which means grace, and pneuma, spirit. We continue with the quote Both have similar senses, charisma meaning expression or manifestation or embodiment of grace, pneumaticon meaning expression or manifestation or embodiment of spirit. Whatever thing, event, or individual serves as an instrument of the spirit or manifests the spirit or embodies the spirit is a spiritual gift, pneumaticon. Whatever event, word, or action is a concrete expression of grace or serves as a means of grace is a spiritual gift, charisma, end quote. And again, this is from an article in the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible by Walter Elwell and Barry Bitzel under the heading Spiritual Gifts. So, to summarize what Peter is talking about, these are gifts from God through his Holy Spirit. We don't earn them, and whatever gifts we have do not make us better than anyone else. That's why... We are called to be stewards of the grace of God. They're not ours, they're His. Second, they are to be used 
for the spiritual growth of the body and the expansion of God's kingdom. As Paul writes to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 1. This is the way any person is to regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul also to the church at Ephesus. 1 Corinthians, oh, sorry, Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as, some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So these are to be used for God's kingdom, for the benefit of his people, for the ministry of God's people, and for the people of God to be equipped and fully ready to do what he's called us to do. That's the purpose of the spiritual gifts, and that's what we're called to be stewards of the grace of God. Let's hear from Dr. Tony Evans as he speaks on this precious stewardship we have. He says, quote, We manage something precious that we received but don't own. And since you're a receptor of grace, you ought to be a conduit of grace. So whatever your spiritual gift, it's all about God, not you. End quote. In verse 11, Peter now focuses on two major categories of spiritual gifts, speaking gifts and serving gifts. The writings of the Apostle Paul include several more detailed lists of spiritual gifts. You can look at Romans 12, 6 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10 and 28 to 30, and Ephesians 4, 11, as we read a moment ago. Peter here is more focused in how we exercise our spiritual gifts and he puts them in two broad categories. So if your gift falls under the category of speaking gifts, that could be teaching, preaching, evangelism, etc., you should use it to speak the words of God. In other words, don't make up stuff on your own and attribute it to God. That's not your call. You are to be a student of the Word who is focused on teaching only the truth of the Word of God. One of my favorite examples of that approach, of that attitude, of that understanding comes from the book of Ezra. Ezra is a priest who led a group of uh, exiles in Babylon to return back to Jerusalem after the end of the Babylonian exile, and his purpose was to reestablish the proper worship of Yahweh in the land. Listen to how the book of Ezra summarizes his attitude and his approach. Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. For Ezra had firmly resolved to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Ezra 7.10 There is a similar idea in the writings of the Apostle Paul and this is the theme verse for this ministry and approved workmen. This is 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself that proved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling 
the word of truth. So if we're calling ourselves preachers or teachers of the word of God, we should be speaking the words of God according to the word of God. Then, if your gift falls under the category of serving gifts, leadership, administration, helps, encouragement, giving, mercy, you should use that gift in the strength God himself provides. You don't serve in your own power. I don't serve in my own power. We exercise our gifts in the power of the Holy Spirit for the benefit of the body. Zechariah 4.6 says, not by, it's by the strength of the Spirit, not by the strength of man, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says that we operate. It is the Spirit of God operating in us, motivating us to do the right thing and giving us the ability, the power to do the right thing. So ultimately, the purpose for the use of our spiritual gifts is for God to be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In his commentary on 1 Peter Dr. R.C. Sproul speaks about how the exercise of our spiritual gifts should bring glory to God. He says, quote, God is before all things and above all things. In his being, he is perfect. Nothing is lacking. He is filled with a countless multitude of excellencies. To God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, glory is an inherent property. We glorify God because he is a being who possesses eternal glory, and that's why Peter begins to sing. Glory belongs to God. Dominion belongs to God. Not for a moment, but for eternity. End quote. It's not about us, it's all about him. This brings us to the end of our second division, Resolve to be a good steward. What's our principle? Living for God's will requires a definite commitment to serve Him and His people. Living for God's will requires a definite commitment to serve Him and His people. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7. What spiritual gifts have you received? How are you using those gifts for the glory of God and the good of others? This concludes part two of our teaching from 1 Peter chapter 4. Thank you for being here today. Next time, we will focus on our third and final division, Rest in a Faithful Creator, verses 12 through 19. Until then, this is Jose Figueroa for an approved workman where we are rightly dividing the word of truth. May God richly bless.